0: Bob was just speaking a moment ago, or a few minutes ago, about we're going through the book of Mark. Uh, I'm doing the reading, it's up there it is, up there, but I'm going to read it. It's from Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Once again Jesus went out beside the, the, the out beside the lake. And a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous... But the sinners thank
1: you, thanks Ron and um, good day everyone uh, if I'm I haven't met you before my name's Les and I'm the pastor here and can I just add my welcome to Bob's it's great to uh, see you here this morning if you're visiting from out of town that's great that you've joined us and if you're a local and you're checking us out it's awesome that you're here so um, yeah let me pray and we'll um, we'll consider this part of of God's word father we thank you so much that we can read of the son that you sent in the world to call people to follow him. Lord, we thank you for what we know of what it is to follow you. And we ask that as we, as we come back to, to the gospel, to the, to, the, to the gospel of Mark today, Lord, that you would just grow us and build us up in understanding who it is we follow and what it is to follow you. And we ask this with boldness because we know that it's good news that we're hearing. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know that expression, is anyone here a doctor? Now, is anyone actually here a doctor? Not, I don't mean like you've got a PhD and you're like a doctor that's not really a doctor, but is it, no one here is a medical doctor, are they? Have you ever been in a situation where, you know, you're in a crowd and someone's actually shouted that out? I don't know, I haven't, but I was in a situation where someone said, is anyone here, oh, and Sally probably gets it as a nurse a bit, is it, I was in a, at a camp once, at this youth camp, and the question was, does anyone here know first aid? Now, it was in, in the school holidays, and I might have told you this story before, I, I don't know that I've used it in a sermon before, but anyway, it was the second week of school holidays, and in the first week I'd done a first aid course, so I'm like, I just did this, it's all fresh in my head. I'm like, what's going on? And I'm kind of like standing back from this situation. What had happened was there was this girl that was highly anaphylactic and someone had put on some deodorant and that had set her off. And they're like, is anyone here here no first aid? And she needed an EpiPen and she needed that thing fast. And and the people around her were were in a panic. And I was like, oh, I just did this. What do you do with those things? I've got to step up here. And in my mind, and this, it didn't go beyond just in my mind, okay? I want to just be really clear about that. But in my mind, I was like, Epi pens go in here. Now, if you know anything about an EpiPen, it is a pure shot of adrenaline. You put that in someone's neck, you're going to kill them like that. And just before that thought, that picture in my mind that this is what I had to do, got from here to any kind of action, I remembered that the guy that was there who was speaking, the minister from one of the churches in Armidale, in his former life was a nurse. And I'm like, Simon's a nurse. Get Simon. Let's get him. And thankfully, that's what I did and grabbed him and took him to the situation and stayed right away from from this poor girl. Now, when you call out for a doctor, when you call out for that help, you need someone who knows what they're doing. That's exactly right. I've never renewed my first aid, um, and I look for other people to be first aid officers if I ever, ever need one. Jesus, in this passage, he declares himself Dr. Jesus. Listen to what he says in verse 17. He says there, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners we started in this in the start of um mark's gospel last week and and there we learned and and were reminded of what great news it is that jesus came that the good news that he pronounced was really really good news the call that he came with not with condemnation but with the call to repent and believe that there is good news to be believed in there is a hopeful message on his lips, and we saw there that that he brought this to fishermen, and they repented and believed. They left their old life behind, and they went on following. From that point, Jesus went out preaching. He went out preaching, and he went out healing. Bob's told us about the leper. He's told us about the paraplegic, and where we're up to today, he's come across this guy called Levi, and that's the context in which he's told told the people listening that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So when you take all this in together, you start to realise that Jesus' mission is to be the preaching doctor, to be the one who comes to heal, but the the healing that he has is a message. So the healings, the actual healings that he's been doing they are, they're there to serve as metaphors to the hard work that he's here to do. That's what Jesus is about. And so in this story of the paraplegic, he didn't just heal him and, and that was it. He said that your sins are forgiven. And, and that's at the point when this guy is physically healed and the, the teachers of the law get into a bit of an argument with him. And and as you look at that, you kind of realise that if he didn't actually physically heal him, there would be no evidence that what Jesus had pronounced, that his sins had been forgiven, had any effect. The healing, it it serves the proclamation of his message. It shows that he can really forgive sins. And ultimately, what Mark's doing is, is showing us that Jesus is God. And so here is the big point through this section that Jesus is a preaching doctor. So when you track through some of the verses here, we go to chapter 1, verse 21. It tells us they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. That's what he's about. 138 tells us. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, where it introduces to us these guys that that bring uh, the paraplegic to be healed. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home, and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And what's he doing there? He's preaching the word to them. That's what Jesus is about. So when it comes to to chapter 2, verse 17, this kind of key verse for today, and he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. You see how that all fits together? Sure, there's healings going on. But Jesus, his prognosis as Dr. Jesus is sin, for all the, the ailments that were being brought to him, Jesus knows that sin is at the heart of it. And his treatment, his medication, his remedy is to come preaching good news. And so he's bringing a call to sinners. Just think about this for a moment. If you complain to a doctor about like really bad migraines, constant headaches and you went in and had, is it an MRI where they scan and check out what's going on in your head? Yep, I've never had one. Um, If they did that to try to work out where these headaches were coming from, and they found a stack of tumours on someone's brain, the doctor would treat the tumour, wouldn't they? Of course they would. If the doctor just prescribed a painkiller to kind of deal with, the headaches that the person came with to complain about, well, they'd be ignoring the real problem. And so this is why Jesus is the preaching doctor, because he knows our biggest problem is not physical, but it is spiritual. It's where the people that he's there to serve stand before a holy God. Ultimately, it's why he goes and dies on the cross In our place. So, with all that in mind, this account of of calling Levi, we've said that the big the big message of Mark is a call, a calling to, to be a follower of Jesus. And here we see the call go out to Levi, and Levi was a tax collector. And that's to say that he's a guy whose sin is obvious. He was in with the Romans, the occupying force. He he was likely corrupt. That's what it's trying to, that's what's tied up in labelling him a tax collector. It's likely that he was greedy. It's likely that he stole. He was a thief. It's all wrapped up in calling him a tax collector. Well, Jesus comes to him and he calls him away from it. He calls him to repentance. He says, come and follow me. And Levi responds with Repentance and faith because he gets up, turns his back on that life and goes after Jesus. And see there how Jesus' message and his preaching is explained by people's reactions? You see, Jesus and his message is good news for bad people. It's good news for, for people whose sin is obvious. You see that Jesus is fixed on calling people to new life. You see that Jesus leads with grace and mercy. That's how he approaches them. When the Son of God shows up, it's not with condemnation, but it's a call to receive forgiveness. Now, as you and I are on mission to our community, do we have that mindset? Do we see Jesus and his message as good news for bad people. For people, it's a funny way to express it, isn't it? But people whose sin is obvious. Jesus doesn't call people to, to come and clean up their life in order that they might receive his salvation. He calls them to leave that behind, but it's, it's, not, it's not in response. It's never salvation in response to how clean you can get your life. It's a, it's, a, it's a call to leave that behind and find mercy and forgiveness. I'll deal with your sin, Jesus says. And this is why in this story we see that Jesus gets up the nose of self-righteous people. In this little interaction, Jesus ends up in Levi's home. And he's there with Levi's mates having dinner. Now you can kind of look at this and go, hang on. Did, did Levi really repent? Did he really turn away from this way of life? Because he's back in his home and he's got all these you know, all these old dodgy mates with him there. And you kind of think, well, maybe he hasn't really. Maybe he hasn't really left that behind. Bad look. But what if it was actually the other way around? That since Levi's followed the call, there's others that have followed the call as well. That they're there sitting and listening to Jesus. What's happened? Has Jesus started to follow Levi or is Levi following Jesus? Let's look at verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. It tells us many of these guys have followed. Levi's followed, but many have followed along as well. Many people, probably Levi's mates, have become followers of Jesus now too. And there's already been a bunch of people following Jesus around. But there's also been a bunch of people following Jesus around who aren't really his followers. They're just there trying to check out what's going on with him. But also, because he's been in and out of the synagogues, and so it's, he's actually brought along a heap of the rabbis and teachers of the law as our Bibles put it. And they've come along not to want to follow Jesus, but to, to work him out and to try to catch him out. Ultimately, they're not seeing things Jesus' way. Now, this is only the second time so far that Mark has written about them. They were back there as the paraplegic was lowered through the roof. But so far, they've had issue with Jesus claiming to be God. And now, they have issue with Jesus hanging out with sinners. If you go on reading, they have issue with what Jesus does on the Sabbath. They have issue with why they're feasting and not fasting. They keep nitpicking at Jesus. Everything that is good about Jesus and his message, they question, they doubt, they refute, and they challenge him about it. Why do they do that? Because they believe that they're the good guys. Now, they're not the bad guys. They're not the ones with obvious sin like Levi would have been. They weren't the ones known for ripping people off, for working for the enemy, the Romans. But their belief that they're good is all about who they're better than, how well they perform, how much like God they already believe they are but they've got to read the room. These guys are part of a nation, and this is where it's helpful to know the historical context of of the Gospels. They're in a nation that's under Roman occupation. They're not exiles like their forefathers were 500 years before, but the problem that they're facing is not just bad fortune either. The nation of Israel is in a mess because they've been faithless. They're just like the people in Nehemiah 13 who can't get it right, but they're actually kind of the, the fruit of that. They've been ingrained in a system where they think by, by their worship and by their, their, their methods that they can get it right, and they just can't. And in addition to any talk of Jesus being the Messiah, the promised King, well, that's that's getting on their goat as well because this is where that, that understanding that their expectation of who the Messiah or, or the Christ would be is kind of reinforced, that they think that he's going to be this strong man who's going to come along and kick Roman butt and lead them back to a time of glory as a nation. But that hasn't quite come up yet. You can just see the the first fruits of it in these interactions. I just want to say, to live like one of these guys is really to only see God for half of who he is. It's to see God as, as somehow needing to be appeased for sin. It's to believe that by being on God's good side, you'll, you'll be safe while he goes out there and hunts down the bad guys. A God who is powerful. and and whose power can be harnessed and and in turn be manipulated for their own power. It's it's like it's all this power struggle. Now that is at best a half-truth because it is true that God is rightly angry at sin. That is true. It's clear and 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 it's plain. But He is a God of mercy and kindness also. The big problem with half-truths is that they're half-true and so they sound true, but they're actually completely wrong. It's not completely true, it's actually completely false. God is both the God of mercy and of justice. And it's not like there's this schizophrenic thing about God. It's not like you pray and you're not sure who you're going to be praying to. It's not what God's like. Some people who are critical of Christianity, can frame it like there's the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, as if there's some kind of, um, you know, dichotomy between those two. These guys do believe that God will show mercy or spare people or something a little softer like that. Like God will be on their side. But that's really it. They believe that God will be on their side because of how much they do for him. Now imagine again, you're at the doctor. And you arrive at the doctor, you sit down, and you proceed to tell the doctor just how healthy you are. A doctor isn't going to waste their time on you, are they? They might actually call for a psych assessment, because who would do that? Jesus is bad news for people that think they're good. Here's bad news for people who think they're good. Jesus did not come for people who thought they were good. There's a trick in the language here because no one is really good. By the ends of Mark's gospel, you will see blood on the hands of these people because they are yelling out, crucify him. They're complicit in Jesus' murder. Just see why Jesus is such bad news for people who believe they're good because Jesus says in verse 17 that he will call sinners. He calls sinners to follow him. His call is to repent and no single person will repent unless they can stand before a holy God and acknowledge that they themselves are sinful. You cannot repent if you don't think that you're guilty of anything. The call from Jesus To come follow me can only be responded to by counting yourself among the sinful, the broken and the sick. And how liberating is that? Because you're being called by the doctor. You're being called by the one who holds the answer, the the remedy, the, the, the treatment. You're being called, to put it in different terms, by the judge who has pardon on his lips. And so let's finish here. Think about who are we in this story? Who am I in this story? Now, none of us are Jesus. I just want to point that out in case you were under some kind of, you know, misconception. So that's to say that none of us can save anyone else. I can't save anyone, you can't save anyone. We can bring people to Jesus, and that's true. But just think, are you like the teachers of the law? Are you like one of these rabbis? Do you think, when you're really honest with yourself, that you have it all worked out? Now, you will know if you're like this because your Christian life will be obsessed with these things. What you do, what others do, or don't do, how you compare to them, what you say about others, and all the stuff you see with Jesus here. Be honest with yourself about this. Because it's a warning from Jesus. He's a warning. He doesn't want for us to be like the teachers of the law. Unless... We can humble ourselves, unless you can humble yourself, to count yourself as a sinner, Jesus does not call you to follow him. Are you a sinner? Is that who you are in this story? If you know this is who you are, then you are the kind of person that Jesus calls. Because if you can call yourself that, then you know that you have repented. And in his kindness, you're never just a sinner. You are a sinner saved, a sinner who has become a follower. Sinners are called to follow. There is no other way to be a follower unless you come to terms with it and own your sin. I can't give it to Jesus for you. You have to own it. You have to swallow your pride and bring it to Jesus. Because he didn't come to call righteous people. He came to call sinners. Let's pray. Father, we are sinners. And Lord, we know that when we stand alone before you, there is nothing that we can bring to you that would cause you to save us. But, Lord, we know that you are a good and loving Father and that when we come before you honestly, humbly, and bring our brokenness and our sinfulness to you, you are a God of mercy and you take mercy on us. And, Lord, in your grace you extend to us the call to follow you. So, Father, as followers, Lord, guard our hearts against being anything like those teachers of the law who would would question that you would show mercy. But Lord, grow us by deepening our dependence on that mercy. And Lord, lead us in a life where we know the true freedom. That you don't leave us in front of you as sinners, but Lord, you lead us in a life where we can follow you. And Lord, we know following Jesus means going through death to a resurrected new life, a life perfected, a life in eternity. Lord, where we're cared for as your child. Lord, humble us. Day by day by day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.